welcome to the It Should Be Fine podcast. I'm your host, Misa. I first met Chef Akira Hirose 10 years ago after my uncle's funeral. It was my senior year of college, and I'd already decided to enroll in the Cordon Bleu's pastry program in Paris after completing my bachelor's degree that June. When Akira's wife, Joanne, caught wind of my culinary ambitions, she immediately whisked my brother and me away from the wake in Anaheim to the restaurant Maison Akira in Pasadena, where the unfazed chef inundated us with food the likes of which we had never seen. Growing up, we generally only ate out during road trips, on special occasions, or when visiting with family, and in any of these circumstances, the venue was casual. So Maison Akira, French fine dining with Japanese flair, was mind-blowing. Never before had we sat in such a formal dining room with white tablecloth service that was so expertly attentive without being overbearing, although, of course, we were dining with Chef's wife. But the food... I wish I had documented the meal, but this was in the early 2000s, before Instagram had asserted its dominance in popularizing gastronomy, and even if I had a smartphone at the time, any pictures would be of laughable quality. What I do recall is a sense of awe as each dish came out, plated so precisely and exquisitely, that I had to take a moment to consume it with my eyes before picking up my fork. The wake was long over by the time the impromptu dinner concluded, so Joanne dropped us off at the hotel where we were staying with our parents. Any reservations I may have had about moving to France alone to learn the art of patisserie dissipated. After that dinner, I knew that I wanted to be able to make food as delicious as it was beautiful, with nuanced flavor and texture and techniques not obvious to the naked eye. As a child growing up in Japan, Akira had had his own gastronomic conversion experience, sparking a journey that took him to France, then Los Angeles, back to Japan, and finally to LA again, where he currently owns and operates Aze in Little Tokyo. Akira was born in Kyoto in 1954, the third of four sons, meaning that he was free from the obligation of inheriting the family accounting business and could pursue what he pleased. His parents enjoyed traveling and eating out, and it was on one particular family vacation that he fell in love with not just French cooking, or what he thought was French cooking at the time, but fine dining. My family took us a West European-style restaurant, but the nice chandelier, right? The white tablecloths, uh, manager, metro D, tuxedo, white gloves. It's really, you know, formal, but... What we eating is a hamburger steak, demigrasse sauce, thick cut French fry, roasted tomatoes, sauteed garlic spinach, nicely presented, and then starting the corn soup. For me, it was European food. I like the not only the cooking ambiance service. Just as I had taken beginner's French my senior year of college, leading up to my big move. Teenaged Akira started studying French as an extracurricular activity, the first serious steps toward pursuing his dream. At 17, he left for Paris, the youngest in his class at the Sorbonne, for a summer session on French language. He became even more enamored by the country and its culture, vowing to return after high school graduation. Not to Paris, though, but to Aze-le-Rideau, a town in the Loire Valley that left such a deep impression on him that he named both his first and his current one in honor of it. So I heard Loire Valley, they speak more pure French. Because it used to be a lot of, you know, the king and a lot of uh, bourgeois people living there. So there's no accent. 
that I had. I did a homestay, and the lady, she taking care of the foreign student. She asked me, so why you come here to France in the, just for taking the, uh, learning the language? No, I want to be the chef. She had a friend, had a small hotel, like a 44 room. So she talked to the, the family, and they accept. So I went as a leader, only 1,800 population, one Asia. I think in my mind, it's very hard, but uh, you know, every, every day is a new experience. So it was fun. At this point, Akira wanted to be a chef, but hadn't yet had any formal education or training, except for cooking at home with his mother. In summer, I stayed there without knowing that much in French. Just uh, do whatever chef or other people say, do Akira, do this one, and show you. From the morning to the night, you hear only French. I know they're kind of mad, but I don't know what's, what the meaning, you know. So I say, oh, so, sorry, pardon, pardon, désolé. <laughs> when you don't know, understand, it's okay. I related to this, having completed a three-month stage or unpaid internship at a patisserie where I was constantly berated in French, Italian, and English by the multinational staff. And, yes, it is probably better to get the gist of the ire rather than the actual remarks. After a year or so of French immersion, Akira was granted a more official role in the kitchen of Le Grand Monarch in Aze, working from 8 in the morning to 10 at night. First chef, he was a very nice guy. This is the first chef for my life. I don't know, who, you know what the possibility of the chef. He left. Chef left. Two chefs left. And then I got a new chef, another young guy, like a 25, 26 years old. He used to be associate in the three-star Michelin. Everything he does, totally different. Oh my God, very bad character. We call that Sada character. <laughs> but uh, cooking nice, lot of flour, decoration. He didn't. He didn't let us do uh, any like uh, for a year. He does everything, so sauce everything. But uh, after one year, he let, he started let us do a couple of things. So he needed time to let the know each other because he's responsible. Everything is mistake, he take, he, he take it, because it, he's a chef. He's not gonna say, oh, he did it, no. My guy did a mistake, it's my mistake. This is an important point, not just about chefs, but managers in general and accountability. Many mistakes are more of a reflection on leadership and their inability to communicate clearly than on lower level employees themselves. As a sous chef, I always felt that if the cooks fell short, it was because expectations weren't made clear or processes weren't demonstrated properly. Maybe that's why some chefs are abusively hard on their cooks when they mess up, because it's a manifestation of their own shortcomings as managers. Yes, chef becomes an automatic response in some kitchens because the cooks know it's what we want to hear, and they're afraid of looking stupid if they ask for clarification. It's very hard. Almost, almost cry. Why am I here? You know, I, I didn't come here for yelling every day. But once we, don't, we know each other, we start opening, you know. It's very, very important to know each other. But uh, I think I had a gut. Four years marked the completion of the apprentice phase of his training, after which he took on the responsibilities of sous chef within the small five-person kitchen team. But by then, he was also itching for a return to cosmopolitan Paris, where a referral from Mr. Jacquet, the hotel owner, got him a stage at Maxime's. At that time, it was one of the most renowned restaurants in the world and had just been downgraded from three to two Michelin stars. Maxime 
owner say, well, we have our Korean clientele. We don't need to be in the Michelin Guide. So they're not anymore. Although it was a short stint, working in the culinary capital felt a world away from the countryside. What's a big difference for me? In countryside restaurant, we peel the potatoes, we turn the potatoes, use that, right? Maxime, I don't think the other restaurant, but I don't know, but I saw only one. Turn the potato on top of the trash can. So everything, potato, you turn, everything go to the trash. <sighs> oh my gosh, you can do the make a stuff food, you can make a vegetable soup, you know. Akira, we do this way because we don't have a time to peel the potatoes. We just just to turn and make a nice turn potatoes. That's a big shock. The Arikobe, tight, nice. The other one, throw away. Not to keep for the vegetable soup or, you know, nothing. Maxim's led to a position at Hotel Nico under the culinary direction of the legendary Joël Robuchon, one of the most influential chefs of the past century. I met him at the Concord Lafayette, put through my friend. Robuchon told me, uh, Akira, you know, I'm leaving to another hotel. So wait until I, I go to there and then I call you again. So he moved to the Nikodo party. Then I, he called me, okay, Akira, you have to do this one. Under Robuchon's guidance, the restaurant would go on to earn two Michelin stars, a distinction that was extremely rare for a hotel at the time and drew all sorts of guests. Well, I remember one time, Jerry Robuchon coming in the kitchen. And then he called everybody, sous chef. Okay, you guys, you know, we have a very important table tonight. Mushi Boku is coming. Paul Boku is coming. Okay? So you have to be very careful. If anything happens at that table, I don't want to see you anybody tomorrow morning. Sushi chef was very shaking. <laughs> and I woke up, and then after the meal, you know, after the meal, lotion, okay? Bravo, you guys did a good job. Thank you. Uh, other thing I remember, one day my friend came from Japan, two ladies, you know, and they told me, oh, I want to go eat uh, your restaurant you walk. I was my day off. So they invite me. So we ate, we went to three people eating, you know, course menu and everything. And then they had a comment card, little comment card. How was the welcome? Either one to two, five. Five is good, right? And then, how was the pre- presentation of the meal? One to two, five. Five. Everything is five. You know, everything is five. And one thing is, uh, they, I asked the friend, how was the, how was the, you know, this meal? Mm, could be a little bit more hot. Right? So, I put that number four. That, only that one, number four. Everything is a five, right? Next day I was walking, right? I was walking in the kitchen. Oh my gosh. Robuchon came in the kitchen. And then, Akira, make sure your, your food is hot. After his one-year contract was up, Akira returned briefly to the Loire Valley, living in Aze while working in the next town over at the two Michelin star restaurant, Austin, whose chef facilitated his first move to Los Angeles to work at L'Orangerie in 1981. 
the chef, John Jack, he one day he called me, Akira, I have a friend. He owned a restaurant in Los Angeles. Nice restaurant. He looking like young cook. I want to introduce. I said, Los Angeles is not California, United States? Yes. Not like a big steak, A1 sauce, baked potato. No, 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 no. It's a French restaurant. <laughs> it's a French restaurant. Okay, so I stayed eight years already in France. Time to maybe move somewhere. So <clears throat> I came here, Los Angeles, without knowing anything. But orangerie, kitchen, 90% staff is French. And then server, front people, 50% of the people, the French. So I didn't have no problem to walk in, the, you know, like France. Once I go out to the restaurant, oh, I have to speak English. Oh my gosh. Anyway, uh, orangerie, totally different. Every day was so busy. You know, American people, they don't know how to wait. France, you, you, know, you know, you're arriving, you take the aperitif, right? You menu, discussing. You, once you decided, after 20, 30 minutes, it's okay, France. Here, America, when you, when you decided the menu, you have to have a, within 10 minutes in appetizer. And then for me, it's a bit different. We are open like at 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock already like this. Here like at 9, 9.30. France, we open this restaurant uh, 7, until like at 7.30, people are coming. And at 8 o'clock, boom, big fire. And at 9 o'clock, we start already cleaning. L'Orangerie was challenging in ways different from Akira's previous jobs. The team comprised other French-trained chefs with Michelin-starred pedigrees, yet despite the potential for learning and growth, he was lured back home to Japan with a tantalizing offer from his father. Come back and open a restaurant here while I have the means to help you get started. Although he didn't necessarily feel ready to open a restaurant at just shy of 30 years old, he knew that opportunities like that didn't present themselves often, and if he didn't seize it, who knows how much time would pass before another one came along. But I was under 30. I was just, uh, I'm not ready, yes, no, okay. When you are not yes or no, just do it. You, know, you learn. You learn. It, because you, you might gonna lose a chance, right? The chance chance not coming all the time. But you have to be ready for grab the chance, right? After like eight years, nine years experience, you should be ready to, you know, accept it. But, but even you are a little bit, uh, no, 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 you just got to do it. The first restaurant in Kyoto, called Aze Lurido, lasted seven years and featured cuisine moderne, or as Akira says, food in the style of early Rowishon. I used to make uh, telling avocado. <laughs> avocado mousse, vegetable inside with the tomato curry sauce. But this restaurant became one of the top 50. I, and I, it's not my, I decided, but a book decided. One of the top 50 French restaurants in Japan. Despite the success, being long distance put a strain on his family, for it was also at La Rangerie where he had met his future wife, Joanne, a Japanese-American dental hygienist by day who moonlighted part-time on the Garde Manger station. 
They had wed and had two children, but back in those days, communication across vast distances was not as easy as it is now. She was here, I was in Japan. Expensive telephone call that time. Not like, not like here. No Skype, nothing. Like $1,500 a month. Ridiculous. So I came back to Los Angeles with when my daughter uh, was uh, five years and uh, Philip was uh, almost uh, before two years. Upon returning to LA, circumstances didn't align right away to open a restaurant. So instead, Akira bided his time working in hotels like the Peninsula in Beverly Hills and the Ritz-Carlton in Pasadena before landing at Tower. And meanwhile, other future big-name chefs were coming up too. We went to eat a Czech Hotel restaurant in downtown. You know who was the executive chef? Thomas Keller. Wow, first plate decoration. Taste, taste okay. Not very great. Second plate coming. Wow, very unique presentation. Third plate coming. Wow, another wow. Every time, wow. Getting tired after four or five. You know, so I came, he came after me and said hi, you know. And then very interesting in the presentation, you know. But not memorable. For me, the food, the taste, it's stay more longer in, my, in your mind. You know, more than presentation. In his tenure as executive chef at Tower, he streamlined operations, reduced food costs and wastes, and came up with one of his signature dishes, miso marinated sea bass. Five years I worked. And then one of the good thing, you know, I, we received the emperor, Japanese emperor and empress for lunch. We had a secret service during the, the cooking, but they're very friendly guys, they had a phone looking, you know. I did miso marine chili and sea bass, so becoming my signature dishes. So I plated emperor and empress plate myself. I want to say hi, but I couldn't. Because the owner of the, the, the restaurant, they didn't put my name on the menu. By that time, though, he also felt like he was losing what he calls his owner mind and opened Maison Akira, which he had for 20 years. Apart from its French-Japanese cuisine, a singularity in 80s LA, the restaurant became lauded for its tasting menus and lavish Sunday brunches. You know, when you are the chef, you don't look at the payment. You don't look at the gas payment. You don't look at the water. You don't look at any, not many payment. Well, you, you look at the food payment, but if you don't do the big mistake as a chef, you're not, you're not fired. If you're an owner, you have to look for the electricity, the gas, those guys, you have to pay attention. 20 years, long time. Well, you know, couple couple customers used to come all the time once a week. Oh, what they, where they gonna go? <laughs> you know, where they gonna go? Yeah, it's sad, but you know, no time no time to think about the Maison Akira now, because I, I'm, you know, I had to walk, I had to go forward here. Yeah. With Aze in Little Tokyo, the Hirose family is able to be more involved in the Japanese-American community, since they're right in the thick of it. It's located in a brick corner building owned by Joanne's family, and across the street from the Japanese-American National Museum, adjacent to Anzen, the hardware store that her father started. 
In this quaint and casual space, Akira has traded fusionish fine dining for comfort food that pays homage to the two cultures that shaped who he is today, Japanese and French. When I went for lunch on a recent visit, the menu was split into four imaginary quadrants, Japanese breakfast and lunch options on the left, French petit déjeuner and déjeuner on the right. I was tempted by the beef bourguignon, but instead opted for the sukiyaki, which arrived steaming in a small iron pot accompanied by rice and tsukemono. Just the aroma brought me back to my childhood. This new iteration of Aze debuted only six months before the pandemic started, which only amplified the inherent challenges of operating a restaurant. Big challenge. Take out only. First of all, I had a I had a, like a, a nine people was working, and then suddenly only four, four five people, half. I had to cut the people, people leaving. People look for the more hours, but I cannot give the long hours. So that's about the change. And then take out. Well, first of all, the people didn't know what to do after the pandemic happened. After the pandemic, it's uh, Easter. Easter Sunday, right? Maison Akira, we used to have a buffet, Lego Blanc, Prime Leaf, you know, those kind of things, you know. Now, now here, totally different, but uh, they don't know. So we did Easter Sunday to go. Lego Blanc, Prime Leaf. I bake maybe three or four times more than Maison Akira. Maison Akira, the 85 seat. This is only 26 seat. We did almost like 300 uh, Portion. You know, and they have only one oven. Maison Akira have a three oven. And the Mother's Day, after Mother's Day, we had a beef tenderloin. Oh my gosh. Almost 300 portion. So that time, Philip and the, my wife didn't have a job because they closed down. So they helped me a lot. We need to decide this certain day, no more takeout. Because you're taking kids dying in or dying out, customer here, take out, come together at the same time, oh, you're in trouble. Call, order, pick up, we can tell them, oh, we are busy right now, in 30 minutes, in, in 30 minutes we'll be ready. But those kind of postmates, they decide by themselves. No, can't do it. Akira's seen a lot in the 40 plus years he's been cooking culinary trends, economic recessions, and now a pandemic. He's old school in the sense that he was brought up in the brigade system, which is almost militaristic in its hierarchy, separating cooks, commis, sauciers, sous-chefs, chefs de cuisine, and more. I remember him once complaining about cooks who would greet him by saying, what's up, chef? Too casual for him. Throughout our conversations, he's expressed frustration at younger generations of cooks because they seem more fixated with moving up the ranks quickly and earning the title chef, or specifically the press accolades and glory associated with it, rather than focusing on mastering the craft. He grudgingly heeds Philip's suggestions when it comes to aesthetics, jokingly referring to his son, who's my age, as an Instagram guy, but acknowledges that in this day and age, it's even more important than ever for food to be eye-catching to encourage people to come in the door. Akira stays in touch with the Jaquette family who owned the hotel in Aze. In fact, while I was living in Paris, Akira and Philip came to France for a reunion with the family in the countryside. We visited the chateau, observed the traditional hunting ritual, la chasse à cour, and had the best beef bourguignon I've ever tasted, prepared by Monsieur Jaquette himself.
There's a certain nostalgia and sentimentality that comes through in Akira's food at Aze, like being embraced by an old friend. It's the same feeling that I, a stranger to the family, had when sharing those incredible home-cooked meals with the Jaquettes all those years ago. A feeling that transcends hospitality to something more like kinship. Thanks for listening. This podcast was written, edited, and produced by me, Misa. If you enjoyed what you heard, please consider leaving a review or send a message to itshouldbefinepodcast at gmail.com. 